Matthew 4.23 reads, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Hello, welcome back to Think This Way, a podcast of Faith Bible Church. I'm a pastor elder here. My name is Bryce Beal, and I've got Andrew with me again. Andrew, thank you so much for being here. I'm back. You're back by popular demand. Everybody wants you on here. Your your gruff voice is made for podcast. <laughs> I, I have been told I have a face for radio. <laughs> All right, today we are continuing our talk on the gospel. That's our quarterly focus. Last week, we talked about what is the gospel, and we talked at the most essential point in with a zoom lens, to use Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert's metaphor, with a zoom lens, We talked about how the gospel essentially is the death and resurrection of Jesus and what that means for our salvation. That's the zoom lens. Absolutely true. What we want to do this week is continue asking that question, what is the gospel? But we want to step back and use what DeYoung and Gilbert call the wide angle lens. This is not saying that the gospel is something other than we said last week. It's just saying the gospel has broader consequences than what we talked about just last week, than just my personal salvation in Christ. It means that, but if we step back, it means even more than that. The reason it's important to talk about this, say, why overcomplicate this, is because if you read your Bible, you are going to come to passages, for example, Matthew 4.23 that we started with, where the word gospel is used, but clearly the author has in mind something broader than just death and resurrection of Jesus and my personal salvation through it. It means something broader. Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. We'll come back to that in a second. So we want to prepare you when you encounter that in your Bible. One of the reasons we want to prepare you for that, you don't have to be a master over all of this content here, but One of the reasons it's worth mentioning is because liberal theology, that's not the same as liberal politics, although there's some overlap, but liberal theology in the United States starting in the early 1900s, coming over from Germany and so forth, liberal theology has always denied the actual resurrection of Jesus and really the spiritual meaning of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that it's for our salvation, that Jesus, as we'll talk about this quarter, died as a substitute for us, as an atoning sacrifice, and turned aside the wrath of God for us. Liberal theology holds to Christian words, but denies all of those things. They would just say that those are either dated or made up or unimportant or so forth. And often what liberal theologians will do, you say, well, if you get rid of the atonement, substitutionary atonement, if you get rid of the sacrifice of Christ and his resurrection as historically true and the incarnation, all these things, what do you have left? (laughs) What is there? Why would you even still be a Christian? Liberal theology likes to try to take the actions recorded in the Bible, including the gospel, and then make some kind of spiritual, metaphorical application to remaking society. That's usually what happens. You say, how can they possibly do that? Well, that's because of what we're talking about today. It's a misuse of this broad view of the gospel. They'll argue that the gospel of the kingdom, what Jesus talks about, was not just his death, resurrection, four spiritual laws, 
or bridge diagram or something like that. It was Jesus saying that he wants to remake society on new principles and so forth. What we want to argue in response, same as DeYoung and Gilbert, and they are right, is that there is a broader picture of the gospel, and it does involve the recreation of the whole world, or at least the restoration of the entire world, a new heavens, a new earth that Jesus is bringing about. But all of that is built upon the zoom lens of the gospel that we spoke of last week. You can't have society or the world remade without Jesus' death being a sacrificial substitutionary atonement for us and his resurrection being true. So that's where liberal theology gets it wrong is they try to separate those out and say, we'll ditch the first part and we'll just focus on the second part. Well, the second part's there, but it it grows out of the first part. If Jesus didn't die as a substitute and resurrect then there is no restoring of humanity or society or the world or anything like that. Andrew, as we're talking about this, let me just ask you, how important really is it that the death of Jesus be a real substitute for sins and that his resurrection actually happened in history? How important is that for us? So that'd be vitally important. If you you think back to the last podcast we did, the resurrection of Christ is the atonement for our sins. If we have a God that is that we are accountable to, that is holy and righteous and very jealous of his holy and righteousness, and we've sinned against that God, once we've sinned against that God, it's broken. You, you cannot restore that. You've already broken it. It's much like the street evangelists whenever they go out and they bring up the, the justice system within our own country. Um, if you've broken a law and you go before the judge, the judge would be unjust if they didn't give you the punishment that you're due. If God is the ultimate example of being just and holy, then he has to hold us accountable for our sins that we've committed against him. So if he has to hold us accountable, the second we break one, it's done. We're condemned. So there has to be an atonement for us. There has to be something that makes up for that so that we can be reconciled with God. And that is the death and resurrection of the one perfect human, fully God, fully man, Christ. If you take that out, you have nothing. There's nothing to stand on. Yeah, it's a bit like liberal theology is a bit like removing everything inside a vehicle and just having the body on the outside of it. It may look nice, but you've removed the essential components that are going to actually make it move. And that's what you're doing when you remove these essential zoom lens points of the gospel. So we want to talk about the broader view, this wide angle lens of the gospel, other things that the gospel has as consequences of it. But we want to make really clear, all of them are based upon the death and resurrection of Jesus being historically true and also in a spiritual sense being a substitute that Jesus stands in for sinners, atones for us, and everything else we'll talk about in relation to the gospel. So let's just begin by looking at DeYoung and Gilbert's definition of this wide-angle view of the gospel. What are we talking about this week? Here it is, quote, All the great blessings that God intends to shower on his people, starting with forgiveness, but cascading from there all the way to a renewed and remade creation in which they will spend eternity. So notice it starts with forgiveness of sins, zoom lens, but it cascades, that's their picture, out into a renewed, remade creation in which we'll spend eternity. That's the wide angle 
lens of the gospel and what Jesus is accomplishing. Some people will call that cosmic, just means it's huge. It's not just my personal salvation, but Jesus' death and resurrection leads to, in some sense, the salvation of the world, not of every individual, but of a remaking, a renewing of the world. This helps, like we've said, when you're reading your New Testament. Take, for example, the passage we quoted in Matthew 4.23. It says that Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now, bear in mind, Jesus certainly could predict the future and would three times predict his own death and resurrection, but not yet. So you have to ask the question, if he's proclaiming the gospel in Matthew chapter 4 at the beginning of his ministry, what is he talking about? He's not at that point, going to be talking about the four spiritual laws. It's not going to be the bridge diagram yet. It's not going to be God, man, Christ response in all of its details. What is he going to be talking about this gospel of the kingdom before he's even died or anyone knows that that's going to happen here? Really, Jesus was proclaiming the fulfillment of what was predicted about the Messiah. So this was the Israelites' hope of a Messiah which we have all the way back from the beginning of Genesis, that a Messiah will come, descended of David, and he will usher in all of God's promises, a renewed earth, fulfillment of Old Testament covenants, everything God was planning to do in Israel, but out from Israel to the whole world, leading to a restored, renewed creation itself. It was going to happen through the Messiah. And so here you have with Jesus, he's talking about, hey, I'm the Messiah, I've come to fulfill this, to fulfill this messianic promise and bring all of these things about. Andrew, we had talked a little bit earlier about um, how you would help someone who is bored by the gospel, and you were mentioning the importance of the Old Testament and all the fullness the Old Testament provides for us. Could you comment a little bit on that? Why is it important to know the Old Testament when we're talking about this broad view of the gospel? So the background on that was I was listening to, it was actually one of Alistair Begg's basics conferences, and he invited this evangelist from, it was either Ireland or Scotland, going off the accent that I remember in my head, it was Ireland, but um, he was an evangelist, and so somebody stood up during the question and answer period and asked all the pastors that were on the, the board um, what advice they would give to preachers doing expository preaching, and the evangelist was the first one to jump in and said, look... I don't expository preach, and that's because I'm an evangelist. I go out and I just speak to people on the streets. It's hard to expositorily preach whenever you're speaking to people on the streets. And he said, but what I would really ask of all of you to do is expositorily preach through the Old Testament. We focus so heavily on the New Testament at the expense of the Old, the Old Testament. We just leave it alone, leave it over there while we do the New Testament. It's great to go over the New Testament. It's vital that we go over the New Testament, but... It takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. If you don't understand the Old Testament, you are going to have a hard time understanding the New Testament. So what he was saying is, if you have the example of the nation of Israel continually turning their back on the Lord and seeing the punishment for that sin of turning the back on the Lord, then you can have a better understanding of what the gospel truly is to us today. It's not an either-or thing. It's the whole thing put together but we often leave the Old Testament out. So if you're bored with the gospel, as far as what we're kind of talking about the gospel being, 
go to the Old Testament, read some of the Old Testament. There are stories in there that are true and that are just impactful that will help you get out of that funk of uh, being bored with the gospel. Well said. And that is the point we're wanting to make here. I know some of this might be a little confusing, but the whole point is there is a wide angle view on the gospel that means the gospel is a larger story than just me trusting in Jesus and being forgiven of my sins. That's true. Praise God. And that's the essential truth. But God is doing something bigger, and that's why you even have an Old Testament. You could just skip the Old Testament. Jesus just comes down in the middle of anywhere, America if he wants, anywhere, you know, dies on a cross, resurrected, and we move on, and I can trust in him and be forgiven. But the Old Testament is so huge because it's reminding us that there's something bigger happening in the gospel. Hence, when Jesus talks of the gospel of the kingdom, it's a kingdom. He's establishing a kingdom because he's the king or the Messiah fulfilling the Old Testament promises which say that he will rule over everything. This is why, for example, in Acts 13, we read the apostles saying, we bring you the good news, that's gospel, euangelion, that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, Jews, by raising Jesus. So raising Jesus, that's part of the gospel, essentially, zoom lens. But the good news is that that zoom lens of what Jesus did in being raised applies to the promises made in the Old Testament to the Jewish fathers that are fulfilled in Jesus. And that is really the coming judgment and restoration of all things. It's begun already. God has already started renewing everything in a spiritual sense. That doesn't mean every society is perfectly fixed, although do all the good that you can. But there's going to be a final judgment that's still coming when God will burn up the heavens and the earth, create a new heavens and earth. Read the end of Revelation for that exciting ending to the big story of what God is doing. And we just want to point out that that can also be called the gospel. We don't want to call everything the gospel. Some people do. No, the gospel is a set of things, but it branches out and has these immense consequences. So Jesus could preach the gospel of the kingdom, meaning that in himself, God was fulfilling, beginning to fulfill the Old Testament promises of a renewed creation under the rule of an everlasting seed of David, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's the gospel. So, like we said, the broad view, it depends on the zoom lens. So, this is not liberal theology, just um, wanting to fix society without a sense of Jesus' death and resurrection being essential. No, those things are essential. But I do want to point out that there is a richness to the gospel. I remember years ago having a friend. He was a trucker. He is a little rough around the edges, and he was not a believer. But I remember spending time with him. We were at a Starbucks, and I remember it vividly. We're talking, and he was sharing with me how he used to go to a church, but he got so bored at this church, some kind of maybe Southern Baptist church, and he said what they were doing, granted, this is his perception, but let's just give him the benefit of the doubt. He said what they were doing is every Sunday he would come, and it would just be the same message. It would be Jesus died, came back alive, you're a sinner, repent, believe, you'll be saved, sing some songs. Now that is the gospel, Zoom Lens Focus. Was his boredom at that gospel his own fault? Yes, because he's not a believer. He doesn't have spiritual sense to cherish those truths. It's also possible that 
the people who were presenting the gospel week after week had simplified it down so much that they didn't have a broad view of all of the richness and complexity in it. So we're just wanting to point out here that even when we are talking about the gospel, I don't want you to think that it's, you know, even when we say it's God, man, Christ, response, that's true, and there's more. So we want to make that clear. Those are all the essential facts of it. But all of those can be elaborated forever and ever, and then even beyond that, they're fitting into a massive cosmic story of what God is doing, which is really remarkable. So believe and share the simple gospel that we talked about last week. Do it. And as you do it, just be aware that the consequences of this gospel are massive, more important than anything happening politically. They are the way through which God will restore all things. Like 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So we are looking forward to the end of this great gospel story when God remakes everything through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's possible that in the past, you yourself thought the gospel was boring. Maybe in sharing the gospel with others, you've fallen into a pattern. You have your three points that you make, and it's been hard for you to think of anything beyond that. So maybe you've even left the gospel behind to try to get into deeper theology. Whatever the case may be, you possibly thought that way in the past, but now by God's help, may we all think this way. <laughs>